Oh boy. Um, yeah, this episode is going to be rough. Like this, this one is probably top three worst stories ever. Um, so like I said, like if you thought Albert Fish or Andre Chikatilo were uh, pushing or crossing your own personal boundaries of um, what you can handle, please just come back next week and find out what we're talking about because this is going to be rough. It's our weird world. Our weird world. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and today I'm going to tell you the story, uh, reluctantly, of David Parker Ray. Um, this is, uh, he is, he's known as the Toy Box Killer. Um, not going to lie, just still trying to figure out why he's called the Toy Box Killer and not just simply like one of the biggest turds on the planet. Um this, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to sugarcoat it anymore. Like you've been warned. Here we go. David Parker Ray was born on November 6, 1939, in the small town of Beelin, New Mexico, which is roughly about 30 miles south of Albuquerque. David's father, Cecil, was an abusive drunk who left the family when David was 10 years old, and soon after, uh, David and his sister Peggy were sent to live with their grandparents on their ranch. Cecil would still stop by every few months, and he always left David with a few issues of True Detective magazine and various other porn magazines. From there, uh, David, and also like... (laughs) like father of the year stopping by giving your 10 11 year old kid porn magazines this is a great start um so soon after soon after david started getting these magazines he began having fantasies about raping and murdering little girls uh oddly enough specifically with a broken beer bottle all right sure by the time david was 12 he was sneaking off into the woods building his own bombs and blowing up tree stumps By age 15, uh, he had carved out his own little cave in one of the trees where he kept a noose and a broken beer bottle, you know, like any normal teenage boy would. Um, This is a weird part of the story. Uh, He also had carved a hole into the ground and just humped it, you know, because, I mean, look, when you're 15, anything, and I mean literally anything is humpable if you try hard enough. And David, David certainly tried. Uh, Four years later, at age 19, David got married and had a son. He then joined the army and um, uh, he joined the army a year later uh, to get involved in the Korean War. And when David was off fighting in Korea, his wife continually left their infant son home alone to go party, which I mean, you know, fine. It's a baby. Like how much damage can a baby do when they're by themselves? As long as you, you know, keep them locked in the crib, they're probably going to be fine. I'm not fit to be a parent yet. Uh, (laughs) Um... Um, so when David returned to the States in uh, 1961, he found out about all of this and got a divorce. Um, at this point, he also had to retrieve his son from the department of public welfare, uh, because, uh, apparently his first wife actually did not do a good job raising him. Um, David 
then quickly turned around and got married for a second time in 1962, but divorced 90 days later, saying that the two just didn't click with each other. In 1966, David got married for a third time with a nice lady named Linda and had a daughter, which they named, uh, wait, I don't know if I said that right. Uh, His wife was named Glenda, and then they had a daughter named Glenda Jean. I don't know if I said Linda or Glenda, it doesn't matter at this point. Um, Unfortunately, David and his post-military life struggled to find and keep a job, and the family eventually moved to Tulsa where in 1970, Glenda decided to key, uh, help the family earn some money by getting a job. Um, but rather than find a job as like a receptionist or a waitress or, you know, something, uh, she decided to be a prostitute. And obviously David wasn't super happy about it, but Glenda was apparently bringing in more than enough money to pay the bills. By the late 1970s, um, David also started giving into his adolescent fantasies and started building custom torture equipment in their basement, which he had turned into his own personal sex dungeon. But not really wanting to keep all the fun for himself, he placed ads in Screw Magazine, uh, which was a weekly porno magazine that ran from 1968 all the way to 2003, uh, believe it or not, where he offered his, you know, sex torture product or products for sale, you know because, and, and I guess he made some decent money off of it. Um, in 1981, David walked in on Glenda in bed with another man. And normally David would have kind of shrugged it off because, you know, it was just part of, you know, Glenda's job. But on this particular day, it was supposed to be her day off and the man wasn't there to pay her for her services. So the next day, day, uh, yeah, David and Glenda's sister, Joni Lee, left town with their daughter, uh, with David's daughter, Glenda Jean. The new family settled in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California and sold weed out of their trailer, but that wasn't enough to pay the bill. So they moved to Phoenix and got married uh, because marriage fixes everything. You guys, uh, especially when you're marrying the sister of the woman who was a prostitute who cheated on you. Um, <laughs> for the next decade, uh, David worked as a mechanic and, like did everything he could to fight the urge to torture women. Um, since Joni wasn't into that at all, you know, she just, you know, she didn't like, you know, getting choked and slapped and tied up and all that kind of stuff. So David would frequent, you know, various prostitutes around the area who were more than happy to let David do what he wanted because he paid them $300 an hour to do so. By 1994, uh, Joni was beginning to have epileptic seizures and began drinking really heavily And one night, in a drunken rage, Joni actually held a pistol to David's head and threatened to pull the trigger. And at that point, David decided he couldn't deal with the drama and decided to get his fourth divorce. Once Joni was out of the picture, uh, David was finally just decided to leave himself alone with his fantasies. He tried to make the urges stop, so he started taking Viagra, which I, like logically is probably the worst thing you could could do in that situation. Um, but finally he found something that worked after reading Christine McGuire's New York times, number one best-selling book, perfect victim, which is a story about a woman who was kidnapped, placed in a box and sexually tortured for several years. David completely changed his number one fantasy. Um, you know, rather than, you know, torturing and, and killing girls, he just wanted to like lock them up and, and keep them as prisoners. <clears throat> So in 1994, David moved to Elephant Butte, New Mexico and got a job as a park ranger at Elephant Butte State Park. And he used the money that he made as a park ranger to convert his trailer into a full-blown sex dungeon that he affectionately nicknamed the Toy Box. So, um, you know, not not a real toy box, 
um, per se, but you know, that, I guess that's how he got his nickname um, as the toy box killer. Uh, and it's going to get so much worse. Like we're just still kind of setting up here. Uh, a couple of years later in 1997, 59 uh, year old David met 37 year old Cindy Hindi and everything changed. Uh, the two started dating and Hindi, who was kind of uncomfortable with David, David's fantasies at first, eventually became an active participant. And for the next two years, David was living the dream. All right. He was finally able to just let loose and do everything he wanted. And, um, yeah, so here's, here's, here's where we're going. All right. Um, on March 20th, 1999, 22 year old prostitute, Cynthia Vigil was walking the streets when a pimp, uh, introduced her to David and, uh, Cindy Hindi who were waiting outside their, uh, trailer, their RV. And so when Cynthia walked inside, David showed her a face fake police badge and told her she was under arrest for solicitation. Uh, Hindi jumped from the bathroom, handcuffed her to a fixture in the camper and then began stripping Cynthia's clothes off. After taking Cynthia back to the trailer, David shoved all kinds of objects into Cynthia's body and attached battery cables to her breast. They hung Cynthia from the ceiling by her arms and legs. They whipped her and inserted more foreign objects into places they probably shouldn't be going. Um, David and then, and Hindi then just left the room, leaving Cynthia suspended. And David then began playing a recording that outlined what he was going to do next. And uh, spoiler alert, it was not going to be pleasant. Um, two days later, while David was off working as a park ranger, Hindi accidentally left the keys to Cynthia's re- restraints close enough for Cynthia to reach them. Cynthia was able to free herself, but uh, Hindi quickly realized her mistake and attacked Cynthia with a lamp. In response, Cynthia grabbed an ice pick, which, why is there an ice pick just lying around within arm's reach? You don't want to know the answer to that. Trust me. But Cynthia grabbed the ice pick, stabbed Hindi in the neck, and then ran off naked down the street. Covered in blood, wearing nothing but an iron slave collar, uh, Cynthia eventually found a trailer park and began banging on all the doors until someone answered. And when she finally found help, she pleaded with the owner to call police. And officers arrived a short time later, and they were just not even close to being ready for everything they were about to learn. You know, like, you ever just have, like, a really bad day? (laughs) And you think back, like, God, when I woke up today, this was the last thing I expected. This is where it's going. Um, David and uh, Hindi were both arrested later that day and told officers that Cynthia was just a heroin addict that they were trying to help detoxify. And prosecutors weren't sure who to believe, you know, were they going to believe this creepy old man who was definitely a serial rapist or an admitted prostitute who could have been willingly meeting with David and Hindi because, you know, she's a prostitute and probably addicted to drugs. And there's probably maybe they were trying to help her get off drugs. Who knows? However, uh, when the local newspaper ran the story the next day, uh, a lot of people with very similar stories to Cynthia started coming forward. Uh, it started with Angelica Montano, who knew uh, Hindi through a friend, uh, through a mutual friend. Hindi had offered Angelica some cake mix that she needed to make a cake for a boyfriend. But when Montano, Montano showed up at David and Hindi's RV to get the supplies, David immediately put a knife to her throat, drove her to the uh, actual trailer, and ripped her clothes off and chained her down. And, uh, you know, David stood over and he, and he said, welcome to your worst nightmare. If you've ever woken up screaming in the night, we are the people you were dreaming about. And that's, that's just such a really messed up thing to say to somebody. 
And so after three days of being chained in the room alone, David came in and began torturing her. Uh, two days later, Angelica found herself in the same clothes she was wearing when she was abducted, completely unsure of how she had gotten there. Like she, um, she was just like woke up on the side of the road one day and had no idea how she had gotten there. The last thing she remembered was David coming in and torturing her. Um, she flagged down an off-duty sheriff and told her entire story as he drove her home to her boyfriend. And the problem with that was that the sheriff never reported the incident because he couldn't possibly believe that anything like this could ever happen to someone. Um, another woman named Janet Murphy contacted police after hearing the story on television. Her daughter-in-law Kelly had been kidnapped for three days back in 1996, meaning that David had been doing this with another accomplice long before he had ever met Cindy, uh, Cindy Hindi. Uh, because if you remember, do, 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 um, Hindi met, uh, he, David had met Hindi in 1997. And so this happened a year before, um, so who was his other accomplice? Oh, <laughs> you can't, you gonna learn here in a second. Um, but back to Kelly real quick. Uh, Kelly had recently, uh, married Janet Murphy's son, uh, Patrick when, uh, Kelly had disappeared. Now, Kelly was friends with David's daughter, Glenda Jean, you know, who had been, you know, with David in Tulsa, whose mom was the prostitute who cheated on him, all that kind of stuff. Um, and Glenda Jean now returns to this story in the worst way. Um, Glenda Jean, at this point, had become one of the most notorious drug dealers in New Mexico. And one night, Glenda Jean offered to give Kelly a ride home, but instead of taking her home, she took Kelly to David's trailer. Now, you're probably thinking, oh God, no, please no, please don't tell me that this is going where I think it's going. <laughs> Yeah, I hate that I'm laughing like kind of maniacally at this. But again, like I've said before, like this is so bad and this is so uncomfortable that like that's just my natural defense mechanism against it. Um, after convening with each other for a few minutes inside the trailer, David and Glenda Jean emerged. Uh, one of them held a knife to Kelly's throat while the other covered her eyes with uh, eyes and mouth with duct tape. A few days later, uh, Kelly was let go after David concluded that she was, quote, too tight between the legs. And by the time Kelly returned home, Patrick assumed that Kelly had run off with another man and demanded a divorce. Demanded a divorce. But that's Kelly's story. But just, you know, hang on a second. Like, it's, it's going to get better here. And by better, I mean so much worse. All right. Uh, Glenda Jean. Uh, at this point, had a seven-year-old daughter at the time named Kayla, who many people around town believed had been fathered by David after Glenda Jean had moved back to live in, moved back to live with him. Uh, even more, Glenda Jean had several issues with ulcers after moving back, including one incident that required her to be airlifted to a hospital for treatment. That condition led a ton of people to believe that David had actually subjected his own daughter to the tortures inside the toy box. So let's pause for a second here. All right. How are you doing? Listener? Are you doing okay? Like, I know that this has already gotten pretty bad. And uh, I just want to make sure that you're okay. Um, We're going to get through this. And I just want you to know that it's about to get way, way worse. All right. If you've made it this far, and you were kind of wondering if maybe you shouldn't have, now's your chance. Like, you can still get out. And, and you don't have to, you don't have to sit through this, but, uh, yeah, 
all right, we're going to, we're going to just power through this right now and, uh, and we're going to get back in it. All right. So after, after Kelly was returned home, uh, she told investigators that she was friends with a man named Roy Yancey, who uh, also knew David quite well. Police investigated, uh, Roy and, uh, you know, found out that Roy had told Kelly that he had been in a satanic group that David had been the leader of for several years, because of course he's a Satanist. Let's just throw that on top. Um, Roy just on his own was not shy about telling people that he had no problem killing people, but even David like scared him. And Roy later divulged to Cindy Hindi that he had killed Marie Parker, uh, his own girlfriend in 1997, and that David had instructed him to do it. Uh, and what had happened was that David and Glenda Jean had brought Parker to the toy box and tortured her for three days. But rather than letting her go, David and Glenda Jean then just forced Roy to strangle her to death with a rope. Well, while David and uh, Hindi were in police custody after uh, Cynthia um, Cynthia's you know confession or you know plea for help, really, uh, investigators went over to investigate David's trailer, which would turn out to just be a really, really, really bad idea. Um, when and and this is this is what they found, and this is going to give you an even cl- you know clearer picture as to what all was going on inside the toy box. Um, when FBI agents walked inside, they found a $100,000 custom made sex dungeon with various rooms labeled wonderful, wonderful things like the bondage room and Satan's den. Um, Satan's den actually held a black leather table with metal stirrups and a ton of straps, like more straps than you probably need to hold someone down. Um, the toy box had a closed circuit television system set up so each victim could watch themselves get raped and tortured as it happened. Um, there were a ton of pictures, like so many pictures, you guys, of David's victims in various stages of torture all over the walls. Um, one wall was covered with his tools which he, that he used for torture, which included chains, paddles, hooks, belts, blades, clamps, suction cups, sandpaper, branding and soldering irons, and um, enough dildos to make a sex shop owner blush i mean just so many like you don't like why do you need that many you you don't i don't i you don't but there were a ton all right just a bunch um agents then looked inside his medicine cabinet and found gloves forceps chloroform ammonia and a bunch of syringes they found instructions and graphs for uh david's quote 12 volt motorized breast stretcher like i don't know why you would need that that doesn't sound like anything good could come out of that at all. Um, agents found the tape recording that Cynthia and countless other women had listened to and decided that it, they should probably listen to it themselves. Um, the recording is arguably the most uncomfortable, graphic, sickening thing ever made. Uh, it's over an hour long and contains David's ramblings of everything the victim was about to endure, uh, including uh, bestiality on a contraption that David had custom built to allow his own dogs to get in on the action. Um but he also didn't stop there. Like he went like he went into very graphic detail about his German shepherd who enjoyed having sex with people. Um, he would all, he also discussed how victims would be exposed to every form of sex imaginable, whether they were ready for it or not. Um, but on the bright side, as David would point out, uh, he 
assured his victims that he wasn't going to kill them because that just wasn't his style. Like he wasn't that bad of a person, you guys. Instead, he discussed that he, you know, he told people in the tape that he tortured people for pleasurable pain and that nothing he did would result in any permanent physical harm. And physical probably being the key word there because you're probably mentally destroyed for the rest of your life. Um, also in the tape, he explained that even, although Cindy Hindi would prefer to keep uh, the girls indefinitely, David kind of just liked variety. And he said that when they were done, the victim would be drugged with a mixture of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital, uh, drugs that, according to David, would make the victim susceptible to hypnosis. Um, and basically why he would do that was he wanted to brainwash each victim so that no one would ever remember anything that happened. And it clearly worked for the most part because these people woke up not really remembering how they had gotten there. Um, once each victim was fully brainwashed, they would be thoroughly bathed to remove any trace of DNA evidence from David and Cindy and then dropped off far away from the trailer. And, you know, towards the end of the tape, David would try to spin the whole thing into a positive by saying that the victim would only be spending up to four hours each day in what he called the playroom. Just four hours, four out of 24, man. Like you're probably, I mean, this is, this, this is a good thing for you. Um, he explained that uh, Cindy Hindi needed at least two ses sessions each day, while David needed at least three. And then when the sessions were over, the victim would have the rest of the day to eat, sleep, watch television, or do whatever they wanted, you know, as, as much as they could, considering they were chained to the floor the entire time. Um, one particular quote um, from, the, from the recording, David goes, During the course of the day, you're going to be raped several times, but that's no big deal. Like, he actually says that. Like, hey, you're going to be raped a lot, but it's it's not a big deal. Like, you're going to, I mean, you'll probably, you, you, you'll get used to it. Um, you can you can hear excerpts of this recording if you want to. I don't recommend it um, unless you want to be also very, very disturbed and scarred. Um, after spending five days investigating the toy box, um, Agent Patty Rust actually walked out of the trailer and shot herself in the head and killed herself just off of what she had seen inside that trailer. Um, in the end, Cindy Hindi accepted a plea bargain and was sentenced to 36 years in prison. Uh, Roy Yancey was given 30 years for his role in Parker's murder, uh, even though her body was never actually found. Glenda Jean was given a nine-year sentence, but only served six years of that. Um, as of this writing, she's out totally free and insisting that you know her father was completely innocent and never did anything wrong, which is odd um although he was never officially charged with a murder uh investigators believe david parker ray killed as many as 40 people before and during the toy box days uh and david despite taking his own plea deal was given 224 years for various assault and torture charges um <clears throat> in 2001 a man who asked to remain anonymous came forward and revealed that he had delivered se several loads of concrete to david over a six-year period in the 1990s and um this this is kind of where people believe that David had actually killed a ton of people, even though he was never actually charged with a murder. Um, this anonymous man said that David took all the concrete orders and filled uh, truck tires with concrete. And when the man asked David what all the cement and the tires were for, David said he was just going to use it at the park to anchor the marina. But each time the guy showed up with a delivery, David never let the man out of his truck, you know, to look around instead. So, um, you know, that was really weird. So... FBI agent Frank Fisher, you know, logically believed that David was actually stuffing bodies in the tires 
um, which, you know, he may have ultimately also used for the parks marina, but once those tires are filled with concrete and then buried in the marina, like, it's going to be really hard to recover those. Um, he also believes that David buried bodies along dirt roads that were scheduled to be paved, making it borderline impossible for anyone to ever find those bodies. Um, fortunately, David Parker Ray died on May 28th, 2002, and that, thankfully, is the end of this story. Well, congratulations if you made it this far and you sat through it. Um, You know, like if you if you really look deeper into this story, like it's so much more graphic than what I uh, described. Like I tried to kind of give you an overview and, and a general gist of what happened inside the toy box and what kind of person that David Parker Ray was. Um, but God, oh, it's so bad. Like so bad. Um, we're going to have, we'll, we'll have a couple of other stories that, that rival David Parker Ray in terms of being, uh, the biggest trash heap on the, that has ever existed on the planet. But this, um, this was pretty bad. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, I, I don't know how we could, I mean, there's a lot we can learn from this. I don't know how you'd ever want to learn anything from this, but, uh, let's, let's see what we did learn. What did we learn? Number one, if you've got to carve a hole into the ground to stick your wiener into to just, you know, get some sort of gratification out of it, like you're just a weird person and you're probably setting yourself up for a very terrible life. Um, yeah, don't don't do that. Like, just yeah, just don't do that. Uh, number two, uh, David Parker Ray likely got his own daughter pregnant and used uh, and subjected her to torture inside the toy box. Gross. Uh, And number three, uh, an FBI agent was so disturbed by what she saw in the toy box that she promptly walked outside and killed herself. Um, And bonus, even though he was called the toy box killer, David Parker was never actually charged with murder. Uh, he was just given a lot of assault and rape charges and died in prison. Next week on Our Weird World, uh, we're going to get real weird, but it's going to be so much lighter and just it's just going to be a strange story. And it's the story of Ralph Lyell. Uh, a North Carolina man who claims that he was abducted by aliens from Venus uh, in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, And, you know, sure he was. And honestly, I hope that that story is more real than David Parker Ray torturing and getting his own daughter pregnant, but it's probably not. And that's unfortunate, but uh, that's what we're going to talk about next week. So something a lot lighter, um, but equally as weird, if not weirder. So, you know, Thank you for listening, you sick freaks, and tell all your friends who are equally as messed up, and uh, keep it weird. 